I'm Damien Fowler. And I'm Elise LaFrank. And welcome to this edition of The Current Podcast. We talk to the biggest names in digital marketing, and this week we sit down with Dominic Demeglio, EVP and CMO of Paramount Streaming. Paramount Streaming, which includes access to content from CBS, Comedy Central, MTV, CBS Sports, and soon Showtime, to name a few, has the third largest subscriber count, making it a force to be reckoned with in today's streaming wars. Dominic has been part of the Paramount family of brands for more than 18 years and on the front lines of the industry's shift from linear to streaming. Dominic sits down with the current podcast to talk about what's next for Paramount Plus and Pluto TV, where they are focusing their bets, and how they're looking to boost revenue this year. You know, subscriber growth is absolutely a key ingredient, but also as our subscriber base matures and we start to reach scale, driving towards that path to profitability by increasing ARPU while still growing subscribers is certainly a key. And it's a balance there. You can't push too far into the ARPU path or you're going to stunt growth and actually be counterproductive towards reaching a profitability. So it is something you know we're consistently trying to manage as we grow to profitability. And then just in terms of you know the ad-supported components, I mean, you know, for us, you know, that's in our DNA, sort of where we got started really in free ad-supported streaming on the CBS Interactive side and with CBS All Access, but also Pluto TV, which is part of our streaming group here, was a pioneer in the fast space and is the number one fast service globally. In that regard, I feel like we have really good pedigree in terms of driving ad-supported businesses. You know, it's fair to say that you've had a front row seat to television's evolution, you know, being part of the Paramount family since 2005. You know, tell us a little bit about that ride and, you know, an exciting ride, maybe unexpected. Certainly unexpected. I, I don't think I could have imagined the landscape as it sits today. You know, my first day at what was uh, CBS Digital Media back in 2005. It's been uh, an adventure, but a super exciting one for sure. I was lucky enough to join at the time and be part of the, you know, the small organization there at CBS Digital Media that through CBS Sportsline at the time, we streamed March Madness for free for the first time on the internet, which was an exciting milestone. And for those that recall that time, boss button broke the internet, that sort of fun button you hit so that it looked like you were on a spreadsheet instead of watching March Madness at your desk. So that's what broke the internet, not Kim Kardashian. That's what did. This was pre-Kim, I guess I should say at the time. And then later that year, sort of we doubled down and we were able to get the green light to be able to stream full episodes of CBS content on CBS.com the day after they aired on broadcast, which you know was a first at that time. And so between live sports and streaming full-length TV content, we really got our start early in those days. And then I'll kind of fast forward, you know, we went through the years. I think, you know, we also worked through some pioneering distribution deals. Uh, we were one of the first companies to distribute full episodes of of primetime content across partners, including those like YouTube and Yahoo, as well as our traditional partners. And then, of course, SVOD started to take shape, uh, certainly with Netflix. You know, Hulu was just about to get going in the space. We were able to sort of galvanize support internally, and a small group of us were able to launch CBS All Access in 2014, which at the time was the first single network streaming service in the space. So we kind of built that business, you know, brick by brick. We started with an ad-supported tier. Later, we were able to introduce our ad-free tier, the premium tier on top of that. And then just, you know, continued to build that. We started with Originals in 2017 with The Good Fight and Star Trek Discovery, which were huge milestones for us. And then as we were merging, you know, CBS and Viacom Corporation, 
with Bob's leadership, Bob Backish's leadership, we're setting the strategy for where streaming should go going forward and realize like CBS All Access could become that flagship service. And so we started in early 2020 on the the path towards rebranding the service, you know, landing on the name Paramount Plus is what we thought was the best name to go with. And then, of course, the whole launch plan, the product plans to bring it all together, which, you know, culminated with us rebranding the service in March of 2021. And then from there, it's been, you know, an amazing ride. We've been the fastest growing streaming service in the U.S. and have also now seen, you know, really fantastic growth internationally uh, over the past two years. After recent earnings from multiple streamers, analysts were very dismissive of streaming's ability to basically ever make a profit. (laughs) Uh, What would you say are the chief challenges right now in this like fast changing space? And then how is content and marketing been an important part of the strategy? Because it's such a crowded space, because everybody's pushing so hard into streaming and because there's outside competition for consumers' time and attention, it's really, you know, how do we find ways to continue to break through and drive growth in streaming? And certainly we see a path towards profitability, you know, but a key ingredient in that is continuing to grow the service and drive scale. You know, and one of the things that we talk about often is, well, we for sure think we have an advantage in content. We have amazing franchises and IP and frankly underestimated franchises and IP within the Paramount portfolio, I will also be the first to say that great content isn't enough. Everyone has great shows. Everyone has you know things that are really appealing about the service. We all have lists of content that we've seen that we want to get to at some point. And so it's also critically important in terms of how do we break through? How do we create that urgency for people to want to watch this show in this moment? Sports for us has been an amazing ingredient in terms of there's nothing that drives that sense of urgency more than I've got to watch this game or I've got to see this soccer match today because that's when it's on. And of course, from a marketing perspective, uh, I would say the same holds true. How do we break through in, in the noise? There, I think it's certainly you know setting a, a really thoughtful strategy for the campaign, working with the amazing creative talent we have in terms of how we develop our assets to support the campaign. We've been fortunate to to really forge some very transformative partnerships within the company. And so for Paramount Plus, as an example, we are the exclusive streaming partner for Walmart Plus. So Walmart Plus members get a subscription to Paramount Plus Essential as part of their membership. We are just, you know, as we speak, have gone live with Delta and are their exclusive streaming partner in the air. And so for Sky Miles members in the U.S., get free access to the full Paramount Plus app experience while in flight, which is pretty amazing. And so you couple all of that as well as, of course, trying to do what you can from a campaign perspective, right? The team always challenges itself. What can we do with this particular campaign to put a dent in pop culture? How do we be disruptive? And so those are, I think, a lot of things that are always top of mind as we sort of you know try to break through. Those partnerships sound critical and, and key, but I also wanted to ask you about the Pluto TV, which I know is a, a very important part of the portfolio and, uh, I guess, the strategy. You ended 2022 with 79 million monthly active users. Could you talk about the channel and how you use it You know, to kind of bring some of those elements you just talked about together? The leader of our division, Tom Ryan, who was co-founder of Pluto TV, was setting about how to solve the paradox of choice right, in terms of what to watch. And, you know, one of the things that uh, has really differentiated Pluto is the 
leaning on our programmers, right? And so we have a, a team of programmers that are curating each of these channels. So it's not enough just to have, say, a CSI channel where you're just sort of running CSIs, you know, from start to finish, but really sort of curating that channel. And then as you get into genres and others, like leaning into folks that have passion around that so that they're programming for you. And so that when you want to get in that lean back experience, it feels very natural, feels very comfortable. And next thing you know, you've watched for a few hours on end. So obviously with Pluto, with that lean back ad supported experience, we feel it's very complementary to Paramount Plus, right? Which is a more on-demand driven SVOD experience where we have the ad subsidized tier as well as the premium commercial free tier. Actually just really sort of integrating here now with Paramount Plus with Showtime to add even more value for our premium tier subscribers. And so we talk a lot internally around how do we create the free-to-pay ecosystem? And a couple of things that we do, Pluto TV obviously is an enormously valuable promotional platform for Paramount Plus and has been for Showtime as well. Paramount Plus and Showtime have Barker channels on Pluto TV, but it's also we're working on ways on how to make it bi-directional. One of the things that we're starting to do is taking prior seasons of originals and running them for the 30 days leading up to their new season premiere on Pluto TV so that we're getting sort of fresh original content to Pluto TV and at the same time using it to promote the new season coming on Paramount Plus. And then when the new season premieres, the first episode of that season will also debut for free on Pluto TV. And so we see a high overlap in terms of the number of users who are using Paramount Plus and Pluto TV. And it really is that each service is finding a way to fulfill the consumer's interest in streaming. More generally, you know, the streaming space is growing more fragmented. And at the same time, there's a lot of talk about the value of consolidation across content. You know, from your perspective, can you talk about that? For instance, you know, uh, Showtime and Paramount Plus. You know, for as long as streaming has been around, I think we're still very early days in terms of how this, this industry is going to mature. And certainly for our part, We've been on a multi-year path towards trying to understand what is the upside value of potentially pairing up Paramount Plus and Showtime. We started with a very loose bundle where you could add Showtime to your Paramount Plus subscription, for example, but you still have to go use the Showtime app to fulfill on that. And then after seeing some really good results last year in early September, we leveled that up and offered the bundle so you could add it not only to your subscription, but the full offering of Showtime was available in Paramount+. And then yet again, I mean, we saw even better results. And that includes a greater likelihood to convert from your trial because of the more robust offer. We're seeing improvement in churn in terms of being reduced because of the better value that we're delivering to consumers. And that really laid the groundwork for what we're on the cusp of doing here at the end of the month, which is fully merging Showtime into Paramount Plus into the premium tier that will now be known as Paramount Plus with Showtime. What insights have you been able to glean from like the cohorts of Paramount subscribers and how maybe have you used this data to drive like new investments? There's no sort of greater visibility than in Paramount Plus in our D2C apps where, you know, people are subscribed at the account level and we're able to sort of understand what they're watching across all content types and across the household. As CBS All Access, we had built a lot of first-party models, right? Trying to read these signals and understand if you were likely to convert off your trial. And based on those signals, you know, try to take actions to improve the chances that you would convert. But, you know, as you imagine, you go from a single network service to Paramount Plus and a whole new and broad and diverse content slate. Some of those models, you break them, right? And you need to give it a little bit of time for them to re-mature, so to speak. 
So now that we're two years in to being Paramount Plus, you know, what we're able to work with is kind of amazing. We've done uh, over the course of last year, deep audience segmentation work. So really trying to understand the different types of household personas that we have, what content is resonating as a first step, and then what content types outside of what we offer would resonate with those potential subscribers. And that, that sort of project has been underpinning now our slate planning and where we're trying to take our content offering going forward and really trying to think about super serving those audience segments. You know, you mentioned uh, all the programming and Paramount is, has got one of the deepest libraries of franchise shows of, of any network. You know, how are you thinking about monetizing the franchise to work across the many platforms you have? I'm sure that's very appealing to advertisers. I know personally, you know, when I come in at night, I often want to just watch an old sitcom. Surely those things are, are you know, are keeping people on the platform. I will tell you when I when I first started working on the the launch effort for Paramount Plus and I had in front of me sort of what the content offering was going to be and what our potential was and uh, what really struck me was just the amazing franchises and related fandoms that Paramount Global has as a company and to your point I think that it's often underestimated in this space you know one note there too it's not just around like the franchise ip that you lean into especially in today's day and age you have to sort of nurture the fandoms around those each and every day and that's not just in streaming but it's on social it's at events it's through you know really any touch point at which the consumer wishes to engage with us and so that's something that as a company across all divisions uh, you know we really do have this sort of one paramount mindset that is at the core of super serving those fandoms and then we arguably, I mean, I know we're having a changeover, but, you know, there was a, a period of time where we had, you know, arguably three of the best late night hosts in the business all in the service at the same time with Trevor Noah, Colbert, and Corden. And speaking of live television, we have to talk about live sports, which, of course, is I know a key component in the streaming environment. And I know that you've invested in mainstream sports, such as the Champions League. Could you talk about that, that shift? Like advertising, live sports is another element of our DNA. You know, from the very early days of CBS All Access, you know, we were streaming the 24-7 live feeds of the CBS local stations, including the NFL, SEC football, March Madness, the Masters, and, you know, saw really quickly just what live sports can do in terms of, again, galvanizing urgency and excitement around those cultural moments in sports. And then the, you know, the other thing is, you know, we're blessed to be working with the uh, CBS Sports which I think is the gold standard in sports broadcasting and production and you know frankly you know CBS Sports is synonymous with championship level sports and so a number of years ago when we were starting to dabble with exclusive sports for CBS All Access we started looking really hard at the Champions League and really put, I think at the time, felt very strongly that it was something that we should go after. And it was that sports DNA, sort of knowing that CBS Sports was going to be able to deliver amazing quality production and broadcast that would be exceptional for streaming exclusive content. And also knowing that we wanted live sports to be part of our future in terms of not just being an SVOD that had on-demand content. You know, we're now three years into working with the Champions League, and it's been amazing. You know, we're, we're locked up with them, you know, till 2030. And again, if you think about what I keep saying about championship-level sports, there's nothing more prestigious in all of club football than the Champions League. Just as a Brit living here in, in the U.S., it's been a revelation to be able to watch all these games, you know, from Europe, which, you know, 10 years ago wasn't that, that possible. Now, switching topics slightly. So you had a huge blockbuster this year and Oscar nominee, might I add, Top Gun Maverick, perhaps single-handedly brought moviegoers back to theaters. What are your thoughts around future release strategy? 
you know, I think there's not a one size fits all in terms of the theatrical windowing. And, you know, Top Gun, I would say, is, was a notable exception where we gave it some more time in theaters. It came to the service a little bit later, but when it did, it still set records for us, right? And so each title certainly, you know, warrants consideration in terms of the best windowing, but I think we've really settled in mostly on this theatrical window with a fast 45-day follow to both home entertainment and streaming at the same time on Paramount+. Plus. You know, we've seen great success with a number of box office hits that Paramount has been fortunate to enjoy from not just Top Gun Maverick, but also Sonic the Hedgehog 2, The Lost City, A Quiet Place 2, most recently with Scream 6 that did really well in the service. And it's really around this combination of continuing to eventize the theatrical moment and the theatrical experience and create all that buzz and excitement and awareness for a title. And then collaboratively with our uh, theatrical partners, then we build a campaign that comes in and drafts off of that awareness and excitement as a second window for streaming and is a very sort of efficient window for us. And they really do work very nicely in tandem. You mentioned Sonic the Hedgehog 2. My four-and-a-half-year-old is going to go crazy when he hears about that. Awesome. Well, I think your four-and-a-half-year-old is going to be super excited to to see Knuckles when it comes to the service. Um, But in the meantime, is uh, is he a Paw Patrol fan? He's crazy about Paw Patrol 2, yes. His his water container is a Paw Patrol water container. Based on subscriber insights, I'm going to venture a guess that uh, he may watch it over and over again. Is that a fair assessment? That's correct. Very much a fair assessment. Awesome. Uh, I, have, I have a good one to share, which is a couple of years ago. It was uh, still was, uh, 2021. So we were still sort of mid-pandemic there. And we had the Paw Patrol movie that was going to launch. And in that particular case, it was over the summer. So, you know, there's still trepidation, I think, around like parents coming to theaters. And so what we did was we went day and date with the theatrical release and Paramount+. Plus. We partnered with the Paramount Pictures team, combined efforts and, and leveled up the overall size of the marketing campaign. As you would imagine for a Paw Patrol release, there was a significant sort of consumer product push with all of our retail partners like Walmart and others. And then overall, the company really got behind it. And it was an amazing uh, example of how the flywheel or the ecosystem that we're building really worked. So the movie exceeded expectations in the box office. We exceeded our expectations in streaming. The trajectory of consumer products was greater than sort of we had been anticipating, so higher there. But also on Nickelodeon Linear, the series ratings increased post the movie coming out. On Paramount Plus, the streaming numbers for the series increased. And then for the movie itself, going back to the point about the rewatchability, we saw streaming households watching it over and over again, and just fans were super engaged. And so it's kind of that example where the whole company works together to sort of push in one direction. We maximize the power of all the platforms that we have, which is a differentiator in this space, and then drove results across the board. It wasn't that streaming cannibalized theatrical or vice versa. It all really worked together. And frankly, we do what we do best, which is meeting consumers where they are and giving them choice. And it really worked out well. And that's it for The Current. Stay tuned because next time we'll talk to Stacey Bettman, CEO of Time Out Media. We're touching our audience in all the places that they're living because we know we live on our phones, we live on our screens, we live on the streets. So it's a very interesting mix of making sure that we are able to touch our consumer at a a maximum of touch points where they are. The Current is produced by Wonder Media Network. Our theme is by Love and Caliber. The Trade Desk team includes Chris Berklier and Kat Vesey. And remember, what can we do with this particular campaign to put a dent in pop culture? How do we be disruptive? I'm Elise. And I'm Damien. And we'll see you next time.